Welcome to the Round Rock Church of Christ Teaching Podcast. We're a faith community located in the central Austin area that gathers at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We hope this teaching blesses you as we become spirit-filled and spirit-led Jesus followers for those who do not have a home. What? Good morning, church. Do not worry, Clark. They do that to my microphone as well. When they are ready, they will shut it off. If you have, uh, if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, we've been in a series called Decide, and I actually want to uh, pause that series for another week. I was gone last week, and I'd like to come back to that series. There's two more installments uh, for that, but today I want to actually set in the moment that we had uh, as we were blessing uh, our babies this morning and uh, the younger generation. And I want to talk about for a minute those commitments that we made to not just the baby that was up here, but our commitment to younger generations and them coming to know God. And I don't have a lot of time to do it this morning, so I want to give you kind of the three points up front in advance. And some of you are like, thank you. I need that. So here are the three things I want us to hear this morning. If we want to be people who are leaning into those vows and commitments, we need to be people who we show up. We need to be people who don't hinder hunger. And we need to bless by looking forward. If you have a Bible with you this morning, I want you to turn to the passage that Tony just read for us this morning. This is going to be in the Gospels, and it's going to be Luke's Gospel. We are not given very many stories of the childhood of Jesus, but this passage in Luke 2 is one of the few moments where you actually see that Jesus and his parents are coming and doing a little bit of what we did this morning, that they're bringing their child, this wondrous mystery, into the world, and they're dedicating him. And in the story arc of the Bible, I think it's very important that when you flip open to the Gospel of Luke, you recognize that the Bible is not telling a new story when you open a Gospel. God is actually keeping an old promise And he's doing it in a new way. This God of faithfulness is coming in and he's making his promises faithful through Jesus Christ. And what is outlandish about God is God's promise doesn't just show up and appear and it's done. God's promise actually grows up. You hear what I'm saying with that? He doesn't just show up. God's promise grows grows up. Hold on to that. God's work and promise is coming through this child who will grow in wisdom and experience and will fulfill God's plan. And even Jesus himself, who goes through this dedication, has people who actually show up around him and around this family. And I think one of the things to see in this moment where Jesus is actually dedicated is that the people who show up for this child are not people of great significance. They're simply people who want to be a part of God's story and what God 
is doing. Now, when Luke is going to lay out the story, he's going to give you a couple of people. The first people he's going to give you is uh, Mary and Joseph. So uh, in verse 22, when the time came for purification, according to the law of Moses, they, as in their parents, brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it was written with the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. Sleepy, tired, exhausted, Mary and Joseph bring their child to the temple. That's the first group of people that show up. The second person who shows up is we're told about a man by the name of Simeon who he shows up. Not only do you have younger parents that are showing up, but you actually have Simeon who is described as um, this man was righteous and devout. He was looking forward to the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now, in history, as Christians have read this passage, most people have assumed that Simeon has some years on him. As uh, one of my uh, great mentors used to tell me, Zane, we never call people old. We just say that they have some snow on the roof. Okay, that's what we say. Um, and it is read that Simeon is one who is experienced, one who has been around for a while. The text doesn't necessarily imply that Simeon is great in age, but one thing we do know about Simeon is that he's experienced and he's waited and he's longed for a while. And he's not the only one that shows up with experience. Right after what Tony just read, we also learn about Anna, who is this prophet. So it reads like this. There's also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of, and I won't even pretend to pronounce that name, of the tribe of Asher. And she was of a great age, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, then as a widow to the age of 84. So God is bringing about younger generations and bringing about older generations to the work that God is doing. You gotta love Luke's strategy. His phrase is, she was of a great age. I will use that language here. That Anna has lived some years. She's seen some things in the world. And the first point that Luke is bringing up in Luke 2, that I want us to hear this morning, is that God's work in Jesus Christ brings all generations together. Luke is setting the stage for God's work. And God's work is testified when younger and older come together. God's work is testified when experience and inexperience come together. God's work is testified when men and women come together. That when God wants to do work in the world, it is multi-generational work. Even God of the Old Testament, when he identifies himself, one of the ways God recognizes himself is he says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and who? Jacob. He's a generational God. And I don't want us to lose sight of that, particularly in the cultural moment that we live. 
Because there's a lot of chances for generational animosity towards one another. I was reading some facts that, you know, we have approximately, we live in a time in history where we at least have five, maybe even six generations that all live under one roof together. And each generation has had a very different experience of the world. I was reading stats like that say that like, you know, 48% of Gen Z Americans identify as a racial minority compared to 18% of those who are in the traditional, like traditionalist generation. Those who were born like close to the 40s. 65% of those who were born around the 40s or 50s were married by the age of 32. But for millennials, only 26% of millennials are married by the age of 32. And for the first time in 120 years, Americans ages from the 18 of 34 are more likely to live with their parents as their main mode of life for a while. Each generation sees the world a little bit differently. And in a culture where generations are seen as a threat to one another, one of the ways the church of Jesus Christ testifies is we say all generations come together. We make space for all generations. And we can testify to the work of Jesus because we all share in the work of Jesus. You can be in relationship with people that you're like, I have no reference point for why they think the way that they think because you share the blood of Jesus. And we simply show up and we offer ourselves. I want you to see when Luke is showing Simeon and Anna, they do not have a lot that they actually offer. They just want to show up and recognize what God is doing in this child. It's worth noting if you're a Bible person to know like there's a lot of detail that Luke gives of like the type of offering that's actually given uh, in the dedication of Jesus. And one of the things that's hinted at in that text of them giving two doves is it's an offering of a family who would be rather poor, not very resourced, and they're still trying to be faithful to God, even though they don't have much financially to give. So if I were to say bottom line of showing up, the first thing I want is any parent in the room. I want you to hear the grace of God. Even if you are tired and you are exhausted or you're not even sure why you're here this morning. I want to affirm you for bringing your kids to church. It matters. What Mary and Joseph are doing are actually lowering barriers. Jesus is going to face great opposition in their life. And Mary and Joseph are trying to set up Jesus well enough, even though they don't know this promise. If it's worth anything to you, every single time in my family, when I was growing up, anytime my parents said, let's go to church, I heard it's time to rumble. I wanted to fight every single time. And now the irony is I serve at a church. <laughs> There's something that matters in bringing your kids to church and do not discredit that. You're like, I don't want my kids to grow up and be like you. That's okay. You can pray for that too. And also want to say a word of grace to those of us who 
in Luke's terminology, are of great age. I want to simply remind you that God does some of his best work with those who are great of age. You know, sometimes we use some language that I think is not very helpful language. We usually say things like, I've done my time here. And I understand when we say that phrase, sometimes what we're saying is, it needs to look different for me than what it's looked like in the past. And I completely understand that. But if we see anything that's testified in the scriptures is that God has assignments and he has work for those who are great in age. You just ask Abraham and Sarah, you want to do what? You want to bring a child into this world? Do you know how old I am? God is not done with you. It's not your time to sit down and say, I'm done and I'm going to let the younger generations take it from here. No, no, no. God's work is testified when all generations come together. So we show up and we offer ourselves. Here we go. Number two, we do not hinder hunger. I want to remind us as we read Luke 2, this is a backdrop of very bleak and hopeless settings for everyone. This is a beautiful moment that is shared, but in the surrounding context of things, things are kind of depressing. I mean, as one small detail, I mean, you have Anna who's described as um, of great age and that, you know, she has had loss that has been in her life. If you look at the original text, it can kind of go either way of either she's 84 years old or she's been 84 years without her spouse. She knows what it's like to go through great loss. Simeon, even in his prayer, he says to God, he's like, finally, you've released me. I've been able to see what you were saying. Even for Mary and Joseph, if you compare the Gospels next to each other, they're on the run. Things politically are not good. Genocide is happening all around them. Loss is soaked in this story. Political unrest, religious unrest for God's people is all around. And that's before we even think about what the personal sufferings could be for Simeon or Anna, or Mary, or Joseph. And Luke is honest about them. You know, Dorothy Greco, who writes this phenomenal piece, and I would highly recommend, um, she writes this sobering but wisdom-filled book on navigating the midlife crisis and loss and surprises that none of us tend to see coming. I read her book a couple years ago just because I want to prep for midlife crisis whenever that happens. And uh, she writes just this beautifully wisdom-filled book. And one point, and it, it just breaks your heart, but she names what a lot of us feel. She says, no one tells you, no one tells you troubles start to cluster at midlife, that you're more likely to lose a parent or a spouse after 40 more likely to be diagnosed with cancer after 45, and much more likely to be replaced by a younger and cheaper and more tech-savvy employee after 50. I never gave much thought to rebounding from setbacks in my 20s or 30s because life was an uphill and setbacks were rare. But now I feel as if I spend half my life 
trying to plug the leaks in the dam. Now I spend half my life trying to plug the leaks that are in the dam. As we grow older, one of the things that's hard is that we collect more losses. We spend more of life plugging the leaks that are in the dam. And when life gets exhausting and hard plugging the leaks in the dam, sometimes what leaks out of us is resentment and bitterness and irritability and discouragement. And then when we see younger generations, sometimes who haven't crossed that threshold and are familiar with as much loss as we've experienced, we become resentful or bitter or impatient or irritable towards them. You know, a couple months ago, I was officiating a wedding where almost everyone in the bridal party was uh, barely 20. And uh, I came in to officiate the wedding and uh, all of them, had headaches from the night before, which I assumed they were just up late playing checkers and praying, um, and that's why they had headaches. Um, But it was ironic because I looked in a room full of 20-somethings, all having headaches, and no one knew what medicine to take. Like, they hadn't even heard of, like, ibuprofen, let alone, they hadn't understood, like, what type of pain, but, like, we're talking, like, Full deal. Like I can tell them a lot. You always, if you have a headache, you always go for Excedrin migraine. Always nips it in the butt. And I thought to myself, as I'm standing about to officiate this wedding, I've got two twenty-somethings who are about to make vows, and in sickness and in health, and they don't even know what to take when they're sick. What? Look, I know some of us we navigate some pretty hard headaches. And I know some of us know what it's like to wake up to pain and aches every single morning. But you cannot, you cannot give up generosity and patience and compassion and understanding for younger generations. You will hinder their hunger if you let your pain and your hurt and your moments where you feel hopeless slowly leak into your relationships. When Luke presents you, Anna and Simeon, they are not jaded. They've experienced loss in life. These are not people who haven't experienced loss, but they're not jaded. They're people who are devoted and obedient. And when they see God is doing something in the younger generation through Jesus Christ, they celebrate and they bless and they look forward to and they actually name what God is doing. It makes you almost wonder with this phrase with Anna, you're like, how in the world going 84 years is she excited and celebrating in this moment? And Luke does drop a hint that she said, look, she never left the temple, but she worshiped there with fasting and prayer day and night. When Simeon is described, and I'm just just telling you what's in the text, when Simeon is described, he has endurance and patience because he has deep life with the Spirit. Like three times the Spirit is listed in his relationship as he's waiting 
on Jesus. What's powerful to note is that all reading throughout the Old Testament, anyone who had the Spirit of God on them was someone. You had to be a king, you had to be a priest, you had to be someone important. But the great news of Jesus Christ is that in His life, His burial, His death, His resurrection, His ascension, is that you do not have to be somebody to receive the Spirit of God. Anyone who trusts in the name of Jesus, baptized into His name, can receive the Holy Spirit. And that means your situations in life don't necessarily change around you, but what happens inside you does change. It can help you see the world different. It helps the love of God pour into you. Let me put it to you this way. My grandfather, he was a Navy veteran and he owned a mechanic shop. And I remember as a little boy, I would sit at that mechanic shop and I would watch as his buddies would come and sit. They would drop off their cars and they would tell old stories. And every once in a while, they would ask questions about like, where's so-and-so? I haven't seen them in 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. No, not 50, 40 years. And sometimes I would remember for people who they talk about who had a lot of pain in their life, they would use that old term. They would say, oh, they're an old soak. What they meant by that was is that they would constantly be under the influence of alcohol to try and drain away their pain. When Luke presents you two people who are older, he does not present to you old soaks. What he presents to you is two people who are deeply spirit-soaked. Have you ever considered that your life, God desires by the end of your life for you to be spirit-soaked? That you desire and crave devotion and worship at the feet of Jesus for your entire life? That the love of God pours into you so deeply that your last passion in life is you want other generations to know the love of God. Simon Ponsby, who is one of my favorite writers, he says it like this. You know, too often we've reduced the work of Christ or the gospel to some metaphysical judicial exchange that missed the fact that it is a marriage, not of convenience like escaping hell, but of consuming, consummating love, entering heaven. How different our walk with Christ, our witness to Christ, our work would be if we knew ourselves how truly loved and desired we were in Christ. If you're like, give me the bottom line saying for point two, this is it right here. God loves you. He loves you and He loves you more than you even know how much He loves you right now. And part of the blessing of going through life, and I know there's losses, and I know there's hurt, and I know there's moments of hopelessness. One of the blessings of the Spirit of God is He wants to pour deeper love into you. He wants you to know how deeply loved you are, and when you are overflowing with that love, 
you start loving other people because you want them to know how loved they are by God. What I'm saying is, is that there's more for you. The Spirit of God has more for you and wants to soak you in His love day and night. We do not pray and fast and worship to earn God's love. We do those things to be able to receive the love of God that's already available to us. Do you hunger for the Spirit of God? Do you hunger for more of the love of God to be realized in your life? Because I will say this, if you don't, you may actually hinder the hunger of the next generation. I can't tell you how many times I sit across from young people and they're like, man, my parents, my grandparents, my teachers, they are on top of me with this whole God thing. But they don't even seem extremely excited about the things of God. So why should I be? Simeon and Anna, they are connected to God's larger purposes. Their personal peace is connected and tied to their people's peace. What if your peace was connected with other generations knowing the Lord? That you actually were looking forward to how God was going to work in other generations. And that's the third and final, is we bless by looking forward. I want you to look at the text. You know, Simeon is described as he's looking forward to the saving of Israel. Anna proclaims, this is good news for all those who are looking forward to God. Simeon, when he sees what God is doing in Jesus Christ, he blesses this young child. They bless what God is doing in the child of Jesus. And our call as a church is to bless the children. Amen. Amen. She's covering over there. Our job is to bless the children moving forward for what God is going to do in them in Jesus Christ. Simeon and Anna show us there are very few things more exciting than helping and seeing younger generations come to know what God is like. You know, sometimes I get the question of like, I understand blessing. I understand being around younger generations. I understand investing in their life. But what does that actually look like for me to be invested in younger generations? And sometimes I use this mental framework for myself to just kind of practically define what blessed uh, looks like. I think of these five questions when it comes to younger generations and people that I see. It's just this. Uh, do I know their name? Do I know where they're from? Do I know where they're going? Do I know what they've done? And do I know what they're capable of in their life? Before you ever move into a relationship of wanting younger generations to know something, I just simply suggest, do you know these five questions? Because if we know these five questions, we can be attentive to what the Spirit of God wants to do. That we can be the voice. We can be the Mary, the Josephs, the Annas, the Simeons for younger generations. 
that we're capable of knowing what God is going to do in their life. We develop a hunger for God ourselves to be able to pass that hunger to the next generation because they will see it. And I think the simplest way to start is by praying. So I'm going to finish by this. Um, There is, uh, for some of you who are movie buffs, this will connect for others of you. Just hang with me here. Um, There is a really famous movie, Les Mis, that, uh, you know, has been play. I understand it was played before it was a movie. Okay, so don't come at me. Don't send me an email afterwards. Um, But there is a scene that I think actually embodies really well a prayer that we can start with for younger generations. Uh, If you've never seen it before, the main character is uh, Jean Valjean. He is uh, this man who has uh, been lifted uh, for the ashes of life. And the scene that I'm talking about in particular is actually near the end of his life, where a young man has entered his life. And this young man actually loves his adopted daughter. And as any father knows, it is always a potential threat when a young man is in love with your greatest love in life. So Jean Valjean actually goes off to find this young man and to judge him. And what you find in one of the final scenes is that he finds the young boy and he's in a barricade of young, naive revolutionaries and he's asleep. And what I would argue is one of the most powerful moments of the movie You see Jean Valjean looking at this young man who he wants to judge and he wants to size up, but he can see that he's asleep, not just physically, but he's also asleep to the danger that is all around him. And in one of the final scenes, he sings a prayer over this young boy. And what's powerful at the end of that prayer is the line that he repeats over and over again, let him live and let me die. Let him live and let me die. And the point is massive. It stares you in the face. Jean Valjean is basically saying, because I'm older, I should give up my life for those who are younger. Why? Because he's asleep to the realities that I am already awake to in my life. And I think that's our prayer. Let them live and let me die. So when you walk through that children's hall, again, when you do nursery duty, when you're showing up on Wednesday nights, when you've stayed up late in conversation, when you repeat yourself again, when you give up your preferences at church, all ways of saying, let them live and let me die. To be hidden in Christ doesn't mean we need younger generations to see us and speak well of us and admire us. To be hidden in Christ means we're willing to give away some of our own lives for them to know that God speaks well of them and loves them and has purposes for them. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. And uh, one thing I'm just going to invite, if anyone feels kind of some conviction 
in the room is that we'll have uh, a couple of people over in this corner that, uh, you know, if you haven't given your life over to Jesus, if you haven't trusted him, uh, you can go talk to somebody and pray with them about that. And also, I feel for some of us maybe in the room who were either kind of in a bondage of fear about the generations that are ahead of us, or maybe there's ways that we know we need to die so we can let others live. There'll be people over in that corner to receive you for prayer. So let me pray for us. So Lord, you're doing great generational work in us. God, we thank you for the shoulders in which we stand on this morning that have helped pass down your beautiful message and your beautiful gospel to us. Lord, for some of us, we can think and name right now of people who because of them, we follow you. Lord, I pray for those of us in the room who our hearts are tied up in worry and bondage about those that are coming behind us. Spirit, I pray for those of us who have really been struggling with the prayer of let them live and let me die. And Lord, I pray, can you help develop us to be people who testify to how powerful your blood is by coming together and seeing how you're working through every generation. Point to heaven and earth coming together. It's in your name that we pray this, Jesus. Amen. As we close today, I mentioned that there is nothing more exciting than someone coming to know Jesus. And this spring, we've actually been sharing stories of how that hunger is getting put back into our heart, and it's been our DNA as a church. And as we move towards closing service today, we actually want to finish with a testimony video of a couple more people who have grown closer to the love of Jesus through something that we've been calling Alpha. So I'm going to let that video play, and then I'm going to talk about how you can invite someone to Alpha. Let's go for it. I'm Angelica Barnes, and we, we just, just got, got done with Alpha. Alpha. Well, before Alpha, um, I think I just was sort of on a path of trying to get to know God, whatever that meant. I was sort of in this cognitive, kind of intellectual, like, read the Bible, study with friends, and I didn't really know or understand kind of what building a relationship with Jesus really meant. And so what was so fantastic about going through Alpha, aside from just kind of being with people who were sort of in the same place, or at least kind of in a similar place to me, um, it was just great because it forced me to think about things. It forced me to be more emotional about things, the topics that we discussed, and really some of the key things that the tools um, that they talked about and learning from other people's experiences through the, the conversation and some of the videos were just real, real helpful. 
I did not have a very good relationship with Jesus. Um, I mean, I believed in Jesus and I believed in God. Um, I had a hard time going to church as a kid. So I think for me, I didn't feel like I was worthy to go to church. Um, I felt like I had to be a certain way. And if I wasn't that way, I wasn't gonna be able to have a relationship with God. And like as a child, I felt that way. And then growing up, I was like, mm, I don't feel like that's something I wanna do as a, like as a, as a, an adult. And that was really hard for me. One of the meaningful moments was probably at the retreat. Um, I really just thought it was gonna be something that was gonna be a relaxing place, but it was just more, it was such a deep impact. You know, we did a lot of group sessions and watched a lot of video, and I feel like that was really where I felt so close, like to the Holy Spirit. And I was just like, what is going on? Like, I, I, I thought it was a retreat, like where you were just gonna just have fun and talk about the videos that we do every Wednesday. I didn't know like the Holy Spirit was gonna be there, like just being so close. And I think just going, I, I just, it, it was just incredible to me. Yeah, the retreat was a pretty powerful time uh, during, during Alpha. And um, I think what was helpful about the retreat was it sort of was an opportunity to take away all the distractions of life and, you know, all the stresses of the day were so in it and with people who were really supporting you. And so for me, it was, um, you know, through, through the prayer kind of groups and, and conversations with the people and through the worship, it helped me figure out that I realized I sort of had a moment where I realized that there's something blocking my relationship and it's there was something there that I identified was able to kind of um, kind of have a moment and go wow like I'm putting this between me and, and God and this is not you know recognizing what that was was a big moment for me so it just let me kind of help eliminate that and uh, get past it and just continue to kind of grow that relationship so the retreat was really uh, very very helpful I feel like I have a deeper understanding of what a relationship with, with Jesus feels like that's growing um, also I'm so I was in a place with people who were so supportive and I chose to get baptized through that process which was such a unbelievable like I would never have thought about that so um, it, it just was very impactful. I think now I have a better understanding of God in our relationship. I think being baptized and Him allowing me to come to Him and to show Him like, hey, I love you for who you are. I love that you come. Not knowing everything and just showing up and just letting me be with you during this time is just it's been it's just such a great experience and I, I I would never knew just going to Alpha that I would have such a strong relationship with God and just the impact it's it has made mm -hmm. so we want to keep uh, sharing those spaces and making those spaces happen we've uh, asked as a church to be praying is there anyone that you know in your life who you can invite our uh, next Alpha is going to be February 28th. 
Um, it's something that you can invite people to very loosely uh, for them to have conversations. Uh, I think if you've got a person in mind, there's a couple things we would just kind of uh, maybe throw your way to think about is, you know, one, uh, if you're going to invite someone to Alpha, I, we'd recommend having a little bit of trust with them, like actually knowing them a bit, knowing a bit of their life story. Um, the second is when you make the invitation, uh, you can make it extremely casual. Uh, I think the way that I, I would say it to someone is like, hey, you know, we've talked about life a couple of times together, and my church runs a thing on Wednesday nights. It's not churchy. It's not a lecture, but it's just a space where people have conversations to kind of figure out what they believe and what they don't believe. Maybe that'd be a good thing to try out. And you can keep the invitation as light as that. I think the last thing, if someone asks you and you're wondering how do you explain, I think one of the things you just say is like, hey, it's a real casual setting. Like you don't need to dress up or anything like that. It's just a meal, quick video, and discussion. If you even want to say anything, you can just come and observe. We kind of find that those elements are the most helpful for people. And also for those of you who have the gift to serve, this is not what I would be saying to someone. I'm talking to you directly now. Um, if you have the gift to serve, we still need a couple people who can be willing to provide meals. Uh, we especially need help with childcare on Wednesday nights, and that would be really helpful. And I also just want to say thank you for being a church that gave uh, so we could sponsor people as well in these retreats. Ava, I'm going to invite you up here and uh, tell us about Sweetheart Banquet.